0: This week on the show, we tell you 10 things to do after installing FreeBSD according to the Bastille BSD project, BSD for Linux users on Hacker Public Radio, R2K22 hackathon report on RPKI client, which is interesting, configuring OpenIKED VPN for OpenBSD, IPsec that is, me and the script that does it for you, and more. This week's episode of BSD Now. BSD Now, episode 471, penguinization, and you should be proud of me not stumbling upon this word, recorded on the 17th of August, 2022. This episode of BSD Now is brought to you by Tarsnap. Go to tarsnap.com slash bsdnow to find the online backup for truly paranoid people. And if you want to support this show in various ways or remove the ads, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash bsdnow. Hello, I'm your host, Benedikt Reuschling. And I'm Tom Jones. Welcome to this week's episode. I hope you had a little bit of holiday time or maybe listened to this during the holidays or even after with fresh uh, energy. Uh, nevertheless, whatever, whenever this finds you, we have headlines for you this week, starting off with 10 things to do after not holiday, but after installing FreeBSD.
1: Yeah, and so this is an article from BastilleBSD.org and it is written by Christopher Edwards that the man behind Bastille BSD. And it's 10 things to do after installing FreeBSD. And it's the top 10 things I can figure, so maybe this is what Chris does, on a new installation. Um, and it starts with an ad for Bastille and I feel like reading it, so I'm going to. Uh, Bastille is an open source system for automating deployment and management containerized applications on FreeBSD. And you can follow them on Twitter speak to people on Discord or Telegram, um, subscribe to the BSD YouTube channel. I have no idea what would be on that. Uh, or support BSD on Patreon. And, and like this lovely show being on Patreon, so is this excellent project um, that makes it easy to run containers on FreeBSD. And so 10 items that Christopher installs after installing FreeBSD. Uh, so this was a new one for me, Tom, not Christopher. Um, number one, uh, home slash dot hush login login log makes login quieter if you check man login for more information and then if you if you this dot hush login file exists in your home directory it will make login quieter which is really cool. Uh, step two and uh, apply patches uh, and they apply updates to the host with freebsd update uh, step three disable a time for ZFS uh, ZFS set a time equals off Z root. Do you know why they do that, Benedict?
0: So that's no additional I/O happening when when to update the time. So the access time is that for each file that has been touched, there will be an additional I/O happening to is, write is, that is to there the file. M-
1: more overhead on ZFS than there is on other file systems?
0: Uh, no, I it's just extra I/O flash. we typically don't need because no one's checking the access time, or not many applications do these days. So it's typically not worth having that extra I/O spent for something that may be changed again very soon like a log I file wonder,
1: i wonder why it doesn't ship as off by default
0: uh, there, is, there are still some legitimate uses for it for like uh, some mailing list software or networky no not network but um email applications but i wouldn't be i have never encountered anyone where the installation instruction says please make sure that a time is still active or
1: set, mm, but that's because maybe it's not off. But anyway, anyway, that's fine. At uh, four, install required packages. Bootstrap, bootstrap the binary package manager and install core packages. And for uh, Krista, core packages are Vim, Git Lite, not Vim Lite though, Git light, ZSH, Htop, Tree, Node Exporter, Duas, Bastille, um, rossinanti, my favorite horse. Um, For virtual hardware and on physical hardware, they also add smart tools, smart mon tools, uh, dev CPU data. Two extra packages on real hardware. I do not know what dev CPU data is. Uh, Five. No? Yeah, mm -hmm. go for
0: it. Yeah, The other day, I was looking for where base audit went because I installed that a lot in new systems and kind of was figuring out, oh, it's not there anymore. There's no port for that anymore. So I'm not sure what happened there, but since it's not on this list, it seems like it was deprecated or not used anymore. So, yeah, okay. The, but these tools are definitely a fine selection okay. to begin with. So
1: you don't know what dev CPU data is?
0: Uh, it's probably updating the microcode um, oh. when there's Intel vulnerabilities. I'm not, because good. physical hardware, it has it, and for virtual hardware, you, need, you don't need that.
1: Yeah. So that makes hmm. sense. Oh, interesting. I might have learned something. At five, configure the Z shell. Um, I guess if you've installed the Z shell, you should configure it. Um, and Christopher installs anti-gen, which is a package manager for the shell. Uh, and then they set their Z shell to be default with chsh-s, user local bin ZSH, which I do too, but I don't have a package manager in my shell. Um, six, configure duas. Add any new admins to the wheel group create user local etc and populate it with a simple rule set um permit no pass wheel is what they set up okay mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't do that but I, I like typing passwords uh seven generate ssh keys uh, delete the auto generated ssh keys and regenerate using only good key types that is a great way to start a flame war uh eight network <laughs> and firewall um, sysrc-cloned-interfaces-plus-equals-lo-one, uh, uh, SysRC one name bastille 0 service uh, netif clone up um, That will add to rc.conf a cloned interface called lo-one, Well, add an extra one, uh, and then rename it to bastille-zero, and then start the cloned-interfaces-service, which is pretty cool, um, and then they configure pf to do NAT on Bastille 0. Um, I'm reading really quickly. Um, with the external interface of VTNet 0. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That probably is needed if you run Bastille on your systems. Oh, um, nine, enable metrics, prom sysctl, and node exporter. Um, and so we turn on inetd, node exporter. Um, a node exporter has um, some collector arguments for dev stat and NTP. Me look up. I don't know what I mean. That's um, for
0: Prometheus to collect certain metrics oh, from via f- node exporter.
1: Called, I'd forgotten it was called node exporter. Um,
0: yeah, and they can collect certain statistics from FreeBSD because that's not in the regular node exporter settings, I guess.
1: But I I, I thought the Prometheus so the Prometheus exporter just returns. Um, the sysc it doesn't it, it does it runs as an inetd service, and then, is that what it does? Yeah. Oh, okay. And
0: yeah, and node exporter is is the port they installed in step. Uh, what was that?
1: Earlier. Yeah.
0: A further further up. Yeah, and so that collects the metrics and gives it to Prometheus in a way that it can just take and p- present. So it, regularly yeah, it, scrapes I mean, it just these... dumps
1: out this sysctls I've I've used yeah, it before. Hmm. OK, that's really cool. Uh, step 10, uh, turn on Bastille, which, you know, we're, we're reading a blog post on Bastille.org, so I'm not surprised. Uh, and bonus <laughs> for hardware only, um, enable microcode updates. So, so I see microcode uh, underscore update underscore enable equals yes, and then start the microcode update service. And on hardware only NTP, I don't know why it's hardware only.
0: Um, oh, because in virtual, because the host machine will tell the um the virtual guests
1: what time it is and you don't want to steer against the clock cool uh, And on real hardware start smart d that's really cool i would love it if other people would write up what they do and they have a new free bsd system mm-hmm. i think it's really um it can be really insightful to see what other people think is uh required
0: um yeah or you don't forget get about that so they can see ah other people do this as part of their setup so i would i'm i was wondering why it wasn't mentioned here but i would delete or deactivate send mail and it seems like this is not the case here
1: yeah um the the nine options it takes to turn send mail off
0: (laughs) yeah Um, but definitely a good uh, list and stuff to start with in the space of securing your system and uh, making it also usable very nice. Cool.
1: Yeah, thanks, Krista. It was really good.
0: Yeah, so send your personal list uh, to feedback at bsdnow.tv and then we'll feature it probably in a future episode if it's something interesting there that you typically do to a free BST system and who knows what other people learn from that and add that to their own setups.
1: And if we get 10 of them and they're all the same, we'll just write patches to make FreeBSD default to them so you can stop. Yeah,
0: because <laughs> if that is so uh, much used, then we might as well activate that by default and save you the trouble. <laughs> Good thinking. All right. In our news roundup this week, we have a story from Hacker Public Radio, and they have quite a number of episodes by now 3655 is this particular one and uh, it has a title BSD for Linux users. Now uh, before we go into this, it may have some controversial views in certain areas of this. So we're just reading the news we don't uh, we're not too involved in that or have uh, not been on this interview ourselves so, we just read what has been written here on the page. Anyway, um, so here they uh, you can listen to this, of course. It's hosted on bin.rc, and it has happened uh, roughly 14 days ago from this time of the recording. Uh, it's flagged as explicit, so be careful um, if you're kind of sensitive to these things. Um, but if you want to listen, then you've been warned. And uh, the description is Unix, Linux, and BSD. There's a quote. To start with, Linux was created by PC users attempting to use mainframe Unix. BSD was created by mainframe Unix users attempting to use a PC, unquote. Okay, there's already uh, the twist here. BSD is what I, uh, or they like to call, a pedigree Unix, meaning that it's a pure-blooded descendant of AT&T Unix. Although although all of the original AT&T code has been rewritten, so a permissive license, uh, or to be a permissive license, the heritage persists. In contrast to Linux, which shares no original Bell Labs code, BSD was originally all Bell Labs code. And then there's a section. I'm not sure uh, who was interviewed there or what was this. Just a certain, uh, yeah, maybe historic section. I don't know. Uh, but definitely listen to it. We uh, Then you will probably know. BSD in the wilds. Uh, BSD-style licensing is quite simple to understand compared to the tome that is the GPL. Interpreting it usually goes something like the following, quote, Do whatever the hell you want with this code. Just don't blame me when it breaks something and don't climb. You wrote it. Unquote. I guess the hell part is not there, but I guess people interpret that into it. Uh, Permissive licensing means that various companies can put lipstick on the Unix pig and falsely assert that it's anything other than lipstick on the Unix pig. Not that Unix is a pig, but you cannot disguise a pig with lipstick. Those burdened with the gift of sight and knowledge can spot a Unix system quite easily. So they list a couple of examples there that we have already mentioned uh, that various uh, vendors use it internally or have used it before. And so this is uh, listed there. Interacting with BSD guys. Most Linux enthusiasts are missionaries. They are generally helpful and seek to guide a computing neophyte into the inner circles of Free Software Foundation initiates. The BSD guys tend to be like hermits. They don't care if you use their code. They only care that the code works for them. When you ask for help, a typical response will be, quote, did you even read the analogs, quote, or, quote, did you even RTFM? What about supplemental documentation? That's not true. We don't do RTFM too much. We didn't write TFM just so you could go online and ask something clearly uh, documented in TFM. Okay, again, this is explicit, uh, and they have their own sometimes extreme views. Again, uh, make your own uh, impressions and um We're just reading what they write here. Not all BSD guys are bitter, but you really should consult available resources before asking questions. Okay, and then there's a section on forking versus distros. In Linux land, all the distros are basically the same with varying codes of paint. We call these distributions because all implementations of Linux are nearly identical code bases, but with varying compile time options. In BSD land, distros don't exist. Free, net, and open are entirely independent and don't share a common upstream. Well, they do. The 4.4BSD code okay uh, there's a couple of things wrong here uh, they are forks of primordial BSD see they say that themselves in their own uh, next sentence that run separate kernels separate user lines etc although code is shared amongst each other that's true A statically linked binary can't simply be dumped from one to another and still run as it would in Linux land meta distros of FreeBSD do exist but they are short lived unless they have corporate backers that's true Mm, yeah
1: everything seems short-lived when you're talking about a 50 year old project though like yeah some of the the desktop distros of FreeBSD like wasn't frisbee around for like five or six years which which feels short-lived right but Uh, yeah but it was long enough for me to
0: get interested in it because i remember using it and starting my own bsd experiments and i was already quite intrigued by how quickly we could switch the The tty's and then i installed it and thought okay now it's getting really interesting uh and then yeah i saw that it was not maintained anymore but by then i was already on the bsd train so (laughs) that's quite good so here they uh further down list a bit of uh, hardware specifics or what a certain BSD projects have as features or have to offer for people who have never heard about this. Uh, since you're listening to this podcast, this is nothing new to you. So Hacker Public Radio may be a bit controversial, but nevertheless, maybe it's a listen that you uh, should give yourself and just uh, take it with a grain of salt.
1: Yeah, and the original show was a minute long, so it's definitely worth going and listening to. Um, Hacker Public Radio has been around for a long time. Um if you click on Ben R C, who is the host of his show, they've done two shows. But I think tons mm-hmm. of people contribute episodes to, to HPR. I remember when it started. I don't remember ever listening to it. I think it was always too much to listen to.
0: Yeah, this I know it exists, massive... but I also never listened to a full episode.
1: Maybe I I should,
0: to see how it, the overall quality is.
1: Like, it really is like it's, it's a podcast public radio format. Um,
0: ah, so where multiple people can contribute their content
1: yeah and who else does it so sdf.org the public access unit system have a constant running live stream called a non-radio where i think mm. basically anybody can host a show on a non-radio and somehow they can license music and so if you wanted to be a radio dj Uh-oh. to like a small okay. subset of, of people on the internet that, that that's there as well yeah, um, so that's the public part yeah it's, it, i mean it, it's really cool i mean this is it is open to anyone and it's great to see bsd content being covered um but Maybe are they, they be a... doing
0: some kind of uh like tending of the content or do they accept pretty much anything because people can just tell
1: Lies. weird stories
0: that aren't true and that
1: yeah Is i'm, not, kind I'm of... not sure how they do it um i mean i've been hmm. scrolling through the website here and there's an episode called registered memory not to be confused with ecc memory um <laughs> linux in laws 20 years in review which t- sounds pretty crazy uh, i wonder what happened in the last 20 years um arm on slackware that's yeah it, it's cool i mean i would check out hacker public radio maybe get a better understanding of what it is than our our vague mm. explanation yeah um, we, we
0: we can't tell only from this single episode what it's going to be or if it's overall the same quality anyway good to hear that other people are also reporting about the BSDs in various ways and uh, there is actually something going on in the OpenBSD uh, space called the R2K22 hackathon, and there's a report about it.
1: Uh, yeah, this oh. is on the OpenBSD journal on deadly.org. Uh, and Peter N. M. Hanstein writes from the Root Me Up Before You Go Go department. <laughs> um, the first R2K22, uh, so 2022, hackathon report is in from oh no there's a j in there um job schneiders uh job at who writes traveling to RK 2022 was a lot of fun it's not often i get to travel to development developer meetings by bike oh wait there's a link i have to look at the link maybe a cool picture <laughs> or a bicycle
0: probably next door or in the oh, same city oh my internet is not up for that uh, oh motorcycle that is
1: Is that more? Oh, that's sad. Okay. I care less. Um, (laughs) I I started the hackathon by scratching an itch I've had for a while. The data that helps organize the internet's global routing system, RPKI, is distributed across many independently operated repositories. The RPKI-client utility follows an IETF standardized process to discover, connect to, and collect data from all these different places. But what if an operator doesn't want the utility to connect to a particular host? Blocking hosts based on their IPv4 or IPv6 addresses through external instrumentation like pf.conf rules is unwieldy and not so elegant. The utility attempting to connect and PF subsequently blocking it, I figured my life might become easier if I extended the utility to be able to take a list of hosts to be avoided, thus the skip list feature came to be. Uh, Next up, I wanted to address a small gap in the base installation. I often find myself installing the more utils port solely for its time-stamping utility, as the original implementation is GPL-licensed Perl script. I thought authoring a BSD-licensed implementation would be fun. And it was fun, uh, until I discovered I need to implement support for converting format strings inside format strings passed to strf time. Fortunately, Cloud Claudio Claudio took pity and helped me with the last part. Fast forward an evening of furious hacking. OpenBSD now has its own high-performance pledged input time- timestamping utility. Welcome to base TS. Uh, all in all, RK twenty twenty two was a lot of fun. It's great to see fellow developers and uh, sync up face to face. A plus 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 would hack again, and uh, that's great to see hackathon reports. I've sort of missed these. There's not been very many.
0: Yeah, maybe we find more about this particular hackathon. I
1: hope so. Uh, There were were no others. Check the man page. (laughs) Check the man Uh,
0: page for the hackathons. No, (laughs) not for the man, for the hackathon. Uh, For the newly written TS, uh, it's a timestamp input uh, utility. And the description reads, the TS utility prepends a timestamp to each line of standard input and writes it to standard output. So you don't have to figure out, oh, which day it is, or month. You just say... Pipe that to whatever, echo foo in this case. Uh, pipe that to TS and it prepends a little timestamp to it so that you know when this was happening. Cool. I can see some uses for that. Yeah. All right. Nice. Um right. We'll check out future reports like this. Uh, if they appear on Undeadly or other places, then we'll certainly let you know. Okay. Next up we have, uh, we stay with OpenBSD a little bit, configuring OpenIKED, or IKED, I-K-E-D. Uh, we found this on the wiki ircnow.org and the description reads OpenIKED Let's pronounce it this way. Oh, yeah. OpenIKED is OpenBSD's native VPN solution. It is included with the base system so no installation will be necessary. It allows us to use IPsec to provide users with a VPN for security, privacy and freedom of information. So they list pros here, no cons but well let's go with that. Uh, clean, secure, interoperable and not in trouble. interoperable, interoperable simple to configure is another one and this configuration is for a road warrior setup where a user wants to connect his device to a network rather than connecting two networks okay uh, they refer us to the faq vpn guide on openbsd's website as well as to the uh ict pr- subproject from openbsd.org as well as the ict.conf website uh, not website but you know description of the config format Okay, to configure ICT.conf, you edit it and replace username and password with the example given here, um, as well as the 127.16.0.1 with the server's public IP address that you are using, and they just use example.com here as the actual hostname. So here they say uh, what the gateway is, the hostname, the pool, and the DNS, and then they provide a user and a password for that, and provide the actual ike version 2 passive esp uh, settings for the ipsec and each uh, of these ipsec packets i've implemented ipsec uh, when i was studying for a project so it's been a while but i can kind of see what, what this does uh and so they tag these with tag road w for road warrior so that they can be distinguished from the other uh ipsec traffic Okay, so there to describe what you need to do there and what these mean, and ike depends upon packet filter being enabled. First, enable packet filter if it is turned off. So you can do as pfctl -e, and then you edit your pf.conf and pass uh, four, five, no five lines to it to actually use this uh, in the pf, so that it knows about ike. And then to find your external interface, type ifconfig. So in case you have multiple of those, it will display the one you want. And there uh, you do pfctl-f to uh, you know, load this configuration, etcpf.conf. And at this point, we need to create PKI and X509 certificates that the VPN client can use to verify the server. From the command line, they let you run Ike. IC- control ca vpn create and i control a ca vpn install and then it tells you that the certificate is installed into a certain uh, path and next up is i c- control ca vpn create the certificate for your domain that you're creating first you create it and it, then install it and then it writes those rsa keys in this case to those files okay very cool then they copy this ca crt files to var www.htdocs/example.com or in this case your own domain, and change the ownership so that no one else who shouldn't be looking uh, can get that. And then you have that configured the web server correctly. Uh, users can then download that uh, for getting this certificate. That's kind of yeah okay. Um, they also have a section about configuring the DNS that is mainly editing resolveconf and adding a name server to it and look up file bind that particular one as well as uh, configuration changes for unbound they all provided them here and we linked them from the show notes uh, here in there also added a couple of lines to edc sys control so that uh, for example ip forwarding works and that uh, esp is enabled and all these other ipsec specific uh, settings are enabled they also have a section about troubleshooting, in case something doesn't work right away, and how to debug certain things and check if something is out of the ordinary. Cool. And I think with this setup, you should be able to run your own VPN with OpenBSD, opens IKED, I-K-T, uh, in no time, and have a feel a little bit safer since your packets are now IPsec encrypted.
1: Yeah, that's cool. Um, seems like a lot more work than setting up WireGuard.
0: Oh, yeah, of course. But it was there before WireGuard uh, entered the scene. And if you don't, whatever reason, like WireGuard, then you can use it the old-fashioned way. You, you, don't, have sure.
1: to, you, you don't have to write in and tell me that was an unfair comparison because you can do DHCP <laughs> over this. I, I understand. Um, but everyone also will see why WireGuard is popular because it's... Is, is there WireGuard for OpenBSD, actually? Do yeah, they trust is. that enough? Okay. Yeah, there is. I mean, it, it's really cool. I mean, you get a, a different form of uh, networking here. Um, I wonder how well it works for other platforms. I'm sure it interoperates really well, because I think we've covered this before. Uh, It's really cool. I I really like it. It's good to see it. And it's in such a weird place. It's in Um, wiki.ircnow.org.
0: Yeah, maybe they want to also, you know, let IRC over that, uh, run over this encrypted uh, VPN.
1: All right, cool. Um, And so next up, we have the the title story, and it is at dpenguin.me. Um, and it is a system for installing FreeBSD 13.1 on a dedicated server from a Linux rescue environment. And it's got four really simple instructions and then a choose your own adventure, and we'll, we'll go through the whole thing. Um, so, step one boot into a rescue console. You must be logged in as root. Prepare the file, path, or URL of the SSH public key. Um, step two download and run the installer script. Download and run the MFS BSD based installer for FreeBSD 13.13.1 with root on ZFS. Um, and they wget dPenguin.me slash um run.sh, which I guess because you're about to blow a computer away is probably fine. Uh, and then they run the script with some parameters. Um, and you need to pass through an SSH key as one of the one of the one of the locations. Um, and it will pick up the MFS BSD script probably from dpenguin.me, if you trust these people. Um, or you can provide one of your own that you've built yourself. Um, Connect via SSH. Wait until the script reports SSH to be available. It takes a few minutes, then connect. Um, SSH-P port, and then where you're going. Once logged in, you can do sudo su to root without a password. This is the MFSBSD environment. Um, And if you have trouble with the connection, wait two minutes and try again. Um, And then four, install FreeBSD 13.1 On your rescue system and now we have the choose your own adventure and so we have install using bsd install or install using zfs install Um, and so the bsd install process um, is uh, make sure your root which is step five Um, step six optionally wipe the disk um, and they provide a script for doing that Um, step seven configure your server settings um, by copying uh, a config file Step eight, run the dpenguin unintended install. The script will update the installer config used by BSD install with the value set above. It will then run similar to BSD install script installer config for an unintended install with root on ZFS. Um, When complete, the MFS BSD will shut down automatically. Exit QEMU and reboot. Uh, So the rescue environment is QEMU, so reboot from that, and then you can connect to your server. The ZFS install process takes us back to step five, which is make sure your root, which, okay. Um, step six is install FreeBSD, which is very much a draw the rest of the OWL style step, um, but they do provide the parameters for running ZFS install, so you can um, install to the disk. Seven, uh, complete post-install actions, see it into the system, add users, uh, and then configure your rc.conf to match what's in your Hetzner settings. Uh, reboot and then connect to your server and if that has all been really confusing it's because we have missed the explain like i'm five page Ah. so dpenguin.me slash eli5.html booting computers can boot from cd-rom hard drive and usb sticks a server can also boot from the network this is how the rescue console is provided on servers Rescue console, recovery console, the provider's control panel is used to send a signal to the server to use network boot on the next reboot. This is normally a minimal Linux distribution or a minimal Windows environment. The server is rebooted into the configured rescue environment with networking and disk access. A minimal OS, uh, rescue functionality in virtual machines. A minimal Linux environment can run virtual machines using QEMU. QEMU can pass physical disks through to a virtual machine as accessible devices. When run, the script will install and run QMU to load a minimal FreeBSD environment, MFSBSD, which is Memory File System BSD. Uh, QMU will make dedicated hard drives available to MFSBSD as disk devices. QMU will proxy port 10.22 on the rescue system to port 22 of the MFSBSD virtual machine. This allows remote access to the virtual machine via SSH. Installation is possible via SSH uh, port 1022 of the server secured by the key provided. The server's hard drives are transparently attached to the virtual machine as devices and can be formatted for ZFS like normal drives. A custom configuration is passed to BSD install for an unintended installation of FreeBSD 13.1 on attached hard drives. Format and configuration for ZFS happen automatically. After installation is complete, the rescue console is exited. The server reboots, and the hard drives reboots from the hard drives directly. The virtual machine loaded in the rescue console vanishes completely, only existed in memory for a short time. Uh, Security, access to the recovery console is the SSH key when configured on the provider's control panel. Access to MFS installation virtual machine is via SSH. Access to the resulting server is via SSH. Um, No passwords are ever used. Users can be created with with su or sudo to get root access. Use this at your own risk which still didn't really clear things up for me, Um, but Mm -hmm. there's an about page. Uh, So the Explain It Like I'm Five was explaining what the process was, but it's sort of lacking why this exists. And so in June or July, 2022, Hetzner removed support for FreeBSD from their rescue system. And as we just said in the Yelp, Explain Like I'm Five, the rescue system is a virtual machine that is given the disks of your dedicated Hetzner machine, and it allows you to have a small Linux environment so you can recover the system if you bork, grub, um, or trash your hard drive in some way, or you configure something wrong. So it gives you a rescue environment, that's why it's called a rescue system, uh, and it is implemented through QEMU. Um, and Hessner got rid of FreeBSD support for this in July uh, and made it a lot harder to run dedicated um, FreeBSD. And so there were some alternative solutions were shared. And so one was to purchase a add-on USB drive and in, an add install media. And it, they say purchase a USB add-on drive and request support write 13.1 image install to it and give it to support, which seems um, time intensive, uh, especially for Hetzner. Um, the other option was to download MFS BSD and overwrite the first hard drive. And so there's a blog post from someone called Ula um, oh no, no, so it's a forum thread explaining how they did this. Uh, and it covered downloading a pre built MFS BSD 13.1 image into the rescue console and then using DD to overwrite the first hard drive. Uh, and there's a similar blog post by the author of MFS BSD. Download statically compiled QEMU binary, run uh, MFS BSD image with flag to attach disks. And there's another post. Um, on the FreeBSD forums covering how to use an old statically compiled QMU binary uh, to load up the MFS BSD ISO file, attach hard disks from the rescue system. And then it will open uh, port 1022 and allow connecting. Um, yeah, and so there's some options. And they have a timeline of how this has gone um, from July uh, and how they've updated these instructions. And the project's history, so the depanguinator is Code for building a FreeBSD disk image, which will boot into memory, configure the network, set a root password, and enable SSH. This can be used to depenguinate a Linux box without requiring any access beyond a network connection. It was originally released in December 2003. A newer version was released by Colin Percival in 2008 as depenguinator 2.0, which I think is how we originally ran in AWS.
0: Yeah, it could
1: very well be... Um and so MFSBSD is a small boot image which can fit in pixie environments, thumb drives, and uses installers. I've always thought it's weird that previously doesn't ship an MFS style image and you have to get MFSBSD from some random person's website. I'm sure they're fine, but it's just strange. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of a, it's sort of an obscure use case. Maybe there's just like a missing documentation step because I think you could just go to release and do like release.sh. Give me a disk image, please.
0: Yeah, but sometimes when you need it because the server is not booting anymore, then you don't want to spend time building the ISO in the first place.
1: Yeah, I, I understand. Maybe it's just something we're missing. Uh, I don't I don't understand why this is um, in addition to what is normally there in a FreeBSD system. Like OpenBSD just ships the BSD RAM disk kernel, which is this environment you could install OpenBSD from. And it's how they always install OpenBSD. Um hmm. And I, I, I know that the platform is, the that, that's not possible for, for FreeBSD in the same way, but it's just weird that you have to get the, the image from somewhere else. Um, dpenguin.me is on GitHub and you can sponsor them if you appreciate them adding support for something Hesno removed, which I think is amiable. Um, it was really cool Um could probably do with some more explanatory language because I had to play the whole entire game to figure out what was going on but it's great to see
0: yeah definitely and people use these kind of things to either if the hoster don't support FreeBSD out of the uh, the box or not in their official offering then you can help yourselves this way or if you need a way to uh, quickly save your system with this kind of uh, MFSBSD or the Penguinator So there's a couple of uses I can see for that. Okay, uh, at this section, we would typically give you feedback and questions that people write us in. Well, it's been the holiday times and a lot of people are away and probably not sending too many problems. Uh, So that's why this is a very empty section at the beginning. If you don't want to be the person who... Has never submitted anything to BSD Now as a question, then definitely send us something to feedback at bsdnow.tv. It could be a show idea, a topic that you want us to talk about, comments or questions, real problems we help you with, and if it is in our power. And uh, this is the way to reach us at the show in general. Uh, typically, we, tip, we try to fill the time here with uh, idle chit chat if <laughs> nothing else has come up. Um, But uh, is there anything? Well, there is EuroBSDCon coming up.
1: Yeah, I I wonder what we've spoken about so far. Um, Have have you mentioned at all on the show that you're giving a tutorial? and It's going to be completely oversubscribed Uh, and people should register now. (laughs) Well, that that last part I don't
0: know about, but uh, I will be definitely happy to welcome people there who are interested in uh, getting started with Ansible on the BSDs and um, letting their computers do stuff they never thought they could do in an easy way well that's kind of a sell um no definitely if people are interested in this kind of tutorial and don't uh, uh, have other things to do in vienna (laughs) which is a perfectly good reason to to go um, then definitely check out the tutorial. There are other tutorials, of course. Mine is a full-day tutorial, and um, originally it was Jan-Piet Menz who would, was giving this tutorial, but he couldn't uh, go to Eurobeasticon, so Eurobeasticon folks asked me if I could take over, and I'm um, uh, exchanging ideas with uh, uh, Jan-Piet because, uh, well, the, his tutorial style is a bit different than mine. Um uh, that is saying his is better than mine, but you don't <laughs> get a downgrade when you get to my tutorial because he and I exchanged our, uh, for example, little cheat sheets. And so overall, his cheat sheet and mine got better just because of this collaboration. And so you will hopefully get a lot of uh, content out of that.
1: Can, can uh, tutorials yeah. sell out?
0: <laughs> uh, I have, I'm actually not informed about how many there will be until the day I will walk into the room.
1: Ah, uh, that's or the stuff maybe
0: the... <laughs> Yeah. What? Only two people? That's not uh, a good amount. No, I'm actually, it's the same in the university. Like I get a, of course, I have a list of people who registered for my course, but on the very first day, I don't know how many will actually show up, right? They can pick <laughs> something else in the meantime. But I, I guess at, uh, univer- at conferences, it's different than at universities because at a conference, people actually want to learn. Well, that's all kind of a stretch here. Um they, they like want talks, to listen
1: to this. Talks are worse because I don't think people walk out of tutorials, but people do leave talks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
0: sometimes really they funny. don't come back after the break, that's, which is also a work out, <laughs>
1: work, walk walkout of
0: sorts. Uh, but then they tell you that they're not interested. And typically there's a description up front and they can kind of see what this is about and what the level of... Uh, content there will be will this be beginner or experts or intermediate and so mine are typically geared towards uh, beginners who have never worked with this before but want to learn about it and of course there will be also something deeper once the uh, basics are covered. And so then I walk into the room and do my thing, right? And I typically try to interact a lot with the audience. So it's not just me talking the whole time, but also uh, letting people work a little bit or talk, uh, various solutions they might have used before. So it's I like this interactivity between the audience and the person presenting, which is me in this case, because... From each tutorial I held, I learned something that I could use and put into my tutorial for future uses. So there's a lot of learning from me as well in there. So that's very rewarding. And future people, like if there are students or other people who listen to my tutorials will then benefit from me having put that into the tutorial. And so there's a lot uh, of knowledge to be gained over time. So And you are also involved in EuroBSDCon, I here
1: yeah yeah
0: <laughs> that sounds not, not very <laughs> motivated
1: no it, it, it's gonna be great it's just terrifying to think that it's um uh, less than a month away and uh i don't know oh, I, yeah. I mean, if you follow me on twitter i've been making a lot of jokes about how badly my slides are progressing and they're progressing better than the jokes i'm making but i mean <laughs> I, I i still have a slide that says um how how do we measure networks Should we even measure networks? Is it any of our business? Um, So yeah, like oh, that's very. Uh, I'm I'm giving a talk. um, It's called "Making FreeBSD Quick," um, and it's about the looking at how. It's about how we can look at the development of Quick, which is a new network protocol, um, Mm -hmm. and look at the evolution of the development of the protocol to figure out how. It was optimized in terms of performance on an operating system to see what we are missing on FreeBSD because Quick was primarily developed on, um, as a server platform, primarily developed on Linux, um, Hmm. with development happening on macOS. And so there's this strange combination of people hacking on Macs, but then targeting the Linux server as a platform. And then there's this entire red herring, which is the stack that Microsoft developed for QUIC that can also run in their kernel. Um, and so I was looking at the development of QUIC on Linux and seeing where um, there were big steps in performance and figuring out some figuring out a shopping list of things to add to FreeBSD so we can be competitive for this new protocol that's, that's popped up. Oh, where um, the
0: BSDs should be quick about it
1: yeah i mean there's lots of quick puns which i hate yeah. having spent three years working on quick before i left the university i just i, mean, I forgot how to spell the word for you heard a while. it all. everything's <laughs> happening quickly it's, it's just upsetting i mean the main implementation i've been looking at is quickly by fastly and so it, it just doesn't help it's not healthy at all um it, it, I, I i mean so if you listen to last week's show with matush then um he's also looking at performance stuff and it's Difficult to talk about performance work, as I asked him if he uh, had said this was a beginner or intermediate or advanced session. Um, Mine is definitely a beginner session, so if you're you're a BSD con and you want to just see some of the considerations that have gone into the weird test bed I have and how I've done the performance analysis and how I have established baselines that are rigorous, which is always the hard thing for performance work, then come see my talk. I'd really like the room to be reasonably full because when I spoke in uh Bucharest I was in a really big room and I think there were maybe like 30 people in the room um Ooh. but there was like a 250 person lecture theater so it just seemed completely empty and I'd, mm. I'd, I'd, like, I'd like to not experience that again because I didn't enjoy it um yeah <laughs> just intimidating Different. to be in a giant room and no people but yeah, yeah. I mean, I
0: mean, but it's difficult to gauge how how many there will go to a certain talk
1: yeah and it depends who you're up against as well um yeah because some parallel. talks are super interesting. So you don't get the people who were just in a room just to be in a room. Uh, mm. But I, there, there'll hopefully be some content of value. Um, I have I have a secret bombshell I can drop. I hope. <laughs> I, it, it was a bombshell six months ago. Things might have changed. I have a bombshell I can drop. Uh, so we'll, we'll see uh, what the startling news is about Quick on FreeBSD if you come to my talk. Um, okay. I'll also be running around the conference like a crazy person because um, I joined the program committee. And I will be heralding a lot of talks. And so I'm going to be at the start of a lot of talks and maybe the end of some, but I don't know if I'm going to see anything happen, uh, but it'd be a nice distraction the day before I speak.
0: Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's a way of getting away with
1: nervousness. No, you just get it Both anyway. Sorts. Yeah. I mean, the, the <laughs> next three weeks doesn't seem like it's going to be fun because I'm going to be uh, working double time to try and, uh, get a, a, re, a, a ha, the high quality work i know i can do together and out into the the show so that uh, i don't get asked like but drew gave a talk on tcp and it was much better because i don't want that question
0: <laughs> yeah but i mean these are separate i mean it's in the network space but yours is different than than his
1: yeah and he has a larger budget for computers than i do um so his can yeah, go sure, faster but...
0: <laughs> and this is <laughs> yeah
1: yeah so it'd be fun like i'm, I'm looking forward to it um mm-hmm. and it's it's always it's just so exciting to go back to a conference and deal with people in real life
0: oh yeah yeah and i typically work with the people that i have in the room because they are there and i typically try not to scare those few away that are still there and it's different to teach or to talk to an audience that is a, that is big and loud rather than a smaller audience which is typically a handful of people but that the dynamics are different between these groups. And so I typically try to uh, get everyone that I have interested and uh, work with them to, through the material, whatever it is, and so that they also have a uh, an outcome that can say, oh, I'm glad I went to this talk and didn't leave in the middle because I immediately found it boring or the person was not the presenter that I was expecting. And so, yeah, I typically enjoy this also. I like the tutorial style because I think I've never uh, submitted a talk to EuroBSDCon or was accepted. So that can already tell you the high quality of uh, content they look for and select from. Um, But definitely I look forward to it, to see people again, as you mentioned, after two years of pandemic being only in video form. Uh, So that's kind of a lot of catching up going on. And I think we'll have a good time there. And of course, afterwards, we will record and report what we uh, brought back from the show and what our experiences were like and maybe uh, cover a couple of the talks that we went to. uh, Alan probably as well. So that you can look for in case you cannot make the conference or have no time to listen to any of the streaming that is probably going on that is provided. There will be talk... uh, uh, yeah, recordings afterwards uh, once the conference is over. But um, yeah, that doesn't beat uh, the live experience. Okay, I think uh, that is for a show and a kind of a teaser of what's going to happen in the future for us at least, and we look forward to recording more episodes for you with interesting BSD content. Again, if you have something interesting for us, like a blog post that you wrote yourself that we couldn't find with regular searches, then send this to feedback at bsdnow.tv and then it will be featured in a future episode like this. Thank you. Till next week.